What's going on, family? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction Quick Hits. I'm your man, GB Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. It feels like it's been a while, a while being like maybe a week or a few days, but it's been a while, and I missed you guys, and I hope you're well. I've been doing some traveling and the like, uh, actually to WrestleMania country. We might talk about that. Be that as it may, it's good to be back here. We're all caught up, and life is looking good. Shout out to every who continues to join us on the socials you've been active there and we really really appreciate it shout out to everybody who joins us uh, of course at the faction show those who are subscribed to our podcast shout out to you and shout out to all of you in case you haven't heard we are now on spotify in addition to apple podcast google podcast and other cool platforms so if you're a Spotify person, you can find us there. If you're an Apple person, you can find us there. If you're a Google person, you'll find us there. Wherever you find us, thank you for taking the time to do that. And share this with your friends as well who love wrestling podcasts and who love kind of our kind of conversation. I think they'll absolutely enjoy this. So with that said, let's get down with the get down, shall we? Of course, all of the big talk has been about AEW's full gear pay-per-view, and I want to spend some time talking about that today, of course, as we are moving into the Thanksgiving season and what that historically means for the world of pro wrestling. AEW's full gear came to us, of course, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Target Center. The Target Center is a home for Previously for SummerSlam, Minneapolis is the place where Eddie Guerrero wrestled his last televised match before passing away. And so you saw all throughout the show, there were these unique dedications to Eddie Guerrero, whether or not people did the shoulder shimmy or some did the three amigos or some even did a frog splash. And so that was very special. I'm going to start from the top instead of necessarily going through all of the results for AEW full gear or maybe I should go through the results uh let's see let's do results let's just do that to uh set an even playing field and then we'll go ahead and get into all of the observations and the like so let's start here with of course the pre-show or the buy-in which saw Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa defeat Jamie Hayter and Nyla Rose then when we get into the pay-per-view itself MJF defeats Darby Allen we've got the Lucha Brothers retaining the tag team championships by defeating FTR Brian Danielson defeats Miro to become the new number one contender for the AEW World Championship. Christian Cage and Jurassic Express defeat the Super Click in a Falls Count Anywhere match. In a tag match, Cody Rhodes and Pac defeat Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. In a hard-hitting, crazy match, CM Punk defeats Eddie Kingston. The Inner Circle defeats Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky, and Dan Lambert. Jay Lethal makes his AEW debut, which we'll talk about. And Hangman Adam Page wins the big one by defeating Kenny Omega to become the AEW World Champion. So there's a lot to unpack here. And the first thing I want to unpack straight from the top is this. I am a massive fan of AEW's four pay-per-views a year. I know it sounds super old school. Like you literally have to go back to the 80s and early 90s for the four pay-per-view model. That is what 
the WWE did. It started, of course, with WrestleMania as its sole pay-per-view back in 1985, then added Survivor Series in 1987. SummerSlam came in 1988 as a pay-per-view, and then in 1989 as a pay-per-view, we got the Royal Rumble, okay? Those were known as the Big Four, and uh, they kind of happened once a quarter of course you had in january the royal rumble march or april would be wrestlemania summertime of course would give us SummerSlam, which would be in august then by november you have survivor series of course the pay-per-view model opened up wwe began changing it with these in your house pay-per-views and then all of a sudden we ended up with a pay-per-view a month instead of a pay-per-view a quarter. It proved to be, of course, uh, big financially for WWE because they were able to obviously sell more tickets to events, sell more pay-per-view buys, etc., etc., etc. When WCW was in town, they followed a similar space where they ended up creating multiple pay-per-views and they were on the monthly pay-per-view situation as well. <sighs> WWE, I think, has oversaturated the market with multiple pay-per-views, as in monthly pay-per-views, that don't seem to mean a whole lot. But the quarterly pay-per-views for AEW actually mean quite a bit. There's accomplishment of great matches. There's time for great matches. There are great stories told. And I just think it makes it worth it. I think sometimes less is more. And AEW has figured that out relative to pay-per-views and relative to the two-hour show versus the three-hour show. Now, the whole less is more thing seems to be almost contradicted when you look at AEW Dark and AEW Dark Elevation, but we're not talking about that right now. So we're talking strictly about the pay-per-view market. With that said, the opening match between MJF and Darby Allin was downright incredible. For all of the smack that MJF talks, he actually can get it done in the ring. And what I like about this is MJF hasn't been overexposed in terms of his wrestling ability. MJF obviously cut some mean and crazy promos, but it kind of takes me to the mindset of the 1980s presentation of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Piper, uh, certainly during 84, 85, was among the most hated villains ever in the sport. And he didn't wrestle very much on television. And so when you saw him on pay-per-view, you had a reason to watch. MJF isn't wrestling on our TVs every week, and so you don't get to see how great he really can be. He'll certainly talk you into the seats, talk you into a pay-per-view buy, and then turns around and delivers an insane match with Darby Allen. Go watch this. I think these two guys, uh, in a little bit of time, in a couple of years, I think, will be the mainstays in the main event at AEW. It's special to watch absolutely special to watch lucha brothers ftr great tag title match i will say this one of the things that aew promised was to really revitalize the tag team division in pro wrestling and it seemed like early on that wasn't happening but boy this is happening there are so many great tag team matches that we've seen between legit tag teams that you're just like wow lucha brothers ftr was great I still think that the tag team match of the year for me was it all out 
where you had the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks in the cage for the tag titles. Oh, gosh, just go back and watch that. Incredible, incredible stuff for sure. Then you had Miro and Brian Danielson. Let me tell you what I am loving about Brian Danielson these days. He does not have a predictable finish anymore. We knew certainly when he was Daniel Bryan in WWE that we were going to get obviously the yes chance, the yes kicks. We knew we would get the uh, big knee from the corner and one, two, three. Or on occasion, there would be the submission with the yes lock. But literally every match he has won in AEW, he has won in a different way. And that's exciting. And listen, Brian Danielson versus Miro, I thought was a special, special match. I thought, again, we got to see another side of Miro. We've not seen him tap in AEW, which is a big, big deal. Brian Danielson continues to show that whatever you put in front of him, he can defeat. I'm very intrigued to see how him fighting for the AEW championship will look because it's definitely going to happen. Then we get to the six-man tag between Christian Cage and Jurassic Express versus the Super Click. Uh, it was a really good match. It wasn't my favorite match, but it was certainly really, really good. And I think we're starting to really see the rise of Jungle Boy, which is amazing. Again, at this particular point, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks are so over that it kind of doesn't matter whether they win or lose. So them losing didn't really hurt them at all. I think this was the right move. AEW, again, gets it right. CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston, to me, was the match that had the sauce. And it had the sauce because it was incredibly believable because the two really don't like each other. And so when people don't like each other and then you give them the opportunity to go at it, it's ugly, it's gritty, it's a fight, it's not something that's super smooth, it's intense, and that's what we like to see in our wrestling. And so, good Lord, CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, what an incredible match. And it's the first time we've really had a chance to hear the crowd somewhat not support CM Punk. So I'm intrigued to see this Wednesday what this does for CM Punk. If this begins a heel turn for CM Punk, if the love affair with the fans stops, or if this is just isolated and related to the Eddie Kingston situation. My least favorite match was the Inner Circle versus Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, and America's Top Team. And part of the reason, in fairness, that it was my least favorite match was because I'm just not into America's Top Team. I don't care how many promos Dan Lambert cuts. I'm not into them at all. I've got no vested interest. I think this was just kind of a way to keep this whole idea of these crazy matches that the inner circle has been involved in going. Didn't mean anything to me. Didn't really matter to me, but it happened. Good deal. I think it took up some time, and I think it actually kind of took away from what was a really, really good pay-per-view, but it happened, the Minneapolis street fight, and who can ever get mad at a Purple Rain chant at a wrestling event in Minneapolis? Makes all the sense in the world to me, right? Last but not least, let's talk about the AEW world title. Hangman Adam Page defeats Kenny Omega. It's a story that just makes sense. We thought we might get this one at the all-out pay-per-view 
but we didn't. We got it here at Full Gear, and it worked. It absolutely worked. What a great story they told. Uh, A big, big night. New world champion. Let me say this too. One of the things I really like about AEW is if you win a championship, you're likely going to hold it for a decent period of time. We haven't had any two-week champions. We haven't had any four-week champions. Uh, Most of these champions have held their championships for a decent amount of time. Now, with that said, I think Hangman Adam Page has an incredible test ahead of him with Brian Danielson, who could legit become champion before the end of the year whenever this match actually happens. I personally hope that they wait for a pay-per-view, which means we'd be taking this one all the way to Revolution in February, which I still think makes a whole lot of sense. Don't waste this match by putting it on Dynamite. Give it to us as the main event of a pay-per-view. And honestly, here's my thought. If this thing holds out till February, you give Hangman Adam Page an opportunity to defend against a few folks. He gets a three or four month title reign. All of that is cool. Brian Danielson becomes your AEW world champion. Uh, No offense to Hangman Adam Page, but I think Danielson needs the AEW world title to represent AEW well, to really show the realm of pro wrestling that AEW can do. And then Hangman Adam Page comes back and wins it again later. I think Hangman's got some time. Uh, Of course, Danielson's days may be numbered, and that's not speaking anything bad, but he was ready to retire, uh, certainly in the world of WWE. He's 20 years in the business, so you know I think it's about time for something like that to happen. When we return, we're going to talk about the impact of Jay Lethal's debut And speaking of Jay Lethal, it only makes sense that we transition from him to the macho man, Randy Savage. All of that's coming up when we return. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. What are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. How about that? The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here forward a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine. COVID. 
I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a them and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W. All right, guys, so a couple of things. First of all, be on the lookout if you have IWTV for the next episode of SHW, which is SHW 33. It was an insane night, as SHW always is. So be on the lookout for that, and we'll keep you posted when that posts. Also, if you've not watched the documentary, it's a great opportunity to do that. That also is available on IWTV or, of course, on our YouTube or Facebook pages for Southern Honor Wrestling. Just search for those and you'll be able to check that out. So the other big piece of news coming out of AEW's full gear pay-per-view is the signing of Jay Lethal. So this is where I think things get complicated. We've been telling you for the last couple of weeks about what's been going on with Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor made the decision to shut down operations seemingly temporarily, see my air quotes. Their final battle will take place at final battle in December. They released all of their superstars of their contracts and from there, they're going to reimagine the product and look to bring it back in April for their Supercard of Honor during WrestleMania week. Now, I told you that I felt like this means the end of Ring of Honor, simply because if you release all of your talent, who do you end up signing? Who's coming back to Ring of Honor after having their contracts not renewed and being given the green light to go anywhere? Where this also became interesting is WWE's release of about 20 superstars on top of the release that they did last quarter, which meant that there were other superstars available. So there's a lot of folks available in the gene pool in terms of companies being able to sign folks, but I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room for companies to sign. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of us have been having conversations about people like Braun Strowman, Bray Wyatt, then you turn around and look at this last crop and you see some pretty amazing names in there. Of course, names like Keith Lee come to mind and several others. But now we know that in that conversation, there are a number of ROH stars. In fact, there's the whole doggone roster, right? Signed from ROH and kind of the first signing of this new wave of free agency is Jay Lethal, the longest reigning Ring of Honor champion, the longest reigning Ring of Honor television champion. What he did for Ring of Honor is significant. And so I'm gonna say this, the signings that have happened in AEW this year alone should tell us a lot about what AEW is building. They signed Brian Danielson, who main evented WrestleMania this year. I'm not talking about 30, which he main evented. He main evented this year against Edge and Roman Reigns at Roman Reigns peak, right? Like, here's a guy who went out with a universal title match earlier this year. Adam Cole, the longest reigning NXT champion, right? He gets signed. The signings that AEW has done, CM Punk, 
Ruby Soho. You know, it's been really quite amazing to watch, which means they are literally getting the elite of pro wrestling, pun intended. Leo Rush is now there. We've seen some of the influx from New Japan pro wrestling. By the way, Tomohoro Ishii will be on Dynamite this Wednesday. That is nuts to me. Oh my gosh. But the impact of Jay Lethal signing to AEW, to me, what it simply means is the death nail for ROH. Now, some will say, wow, it's way too soon to say that. But who else embodied the current presentation of Ring of Honor like Jay Lethal? Jay Lethal was really the Ring of Honor poster boy who had more success in Ring of Honor than he did in Impact. And he had great success in Impact. He really became that guy in Ring of Honor. So you take him out of Ring of Honor, who's left? Guys like Jonathan Gresham, I think, are soon to follow. Uh, you've got Shane Taylor Promotions, who I think is soon to follow. And uh, yeah, I think what we know as Ring of Honor is no more. And who shows up there? I think developmental stars, perhaps some indie stars. There may be some folks from this current crop of Ring of Honor who might not have gotten signed by then who will be interested, but there's a lot of room for these other promotions. And I'll just tell you this now, don't be phased by the fact that WWE laid off 20 folks a couple of weeks ago. As we've seen, laying off folks does not mean that they won't sign new folks. Now, I know it's been said they're not going after indie talent, but if there are folks from Ring of Honor that are of interest to them, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of them show up in WWE or AEW, again, if there's interest. And the way that AEW is shooting, they're shooting really, really big. So it's going to be interesting to see Jay Lethal. He has his first big test for the TNT Championship this Wednesday night. So I'm intrigued to see how all of that's going to go down. Last but not least, the Macho Man Randy Savage celebrated a birthday yesterday, and we put up a post on the socials asking you for some of your favorite Randy Savage moments, and you guys came through with some great, great moments. If you'll allow me to share some of them, uh, they were pretty amazing. So our good brother, Brandon Clack, who of course is part of our core here, he talked about the infamous snake bite that happened. And if you don't remember the snake bite, the snake bite uh, was one of those moments that was censored originally on WWE television because it was too extreme. A cobra literally biting the arm and WWE was so very child focused that that was a very adult and extreme move for 1991, 92 or so. Big, big stuff in WWE. So that was pretty crazy, and it started quite the war with the Macho Man and Jake the Snake. Yeah, definitely 1991. Here's some other things that you guys mentioned. James White mentioned the cup of coffee promo, which was a classic promo. One of those 80s promos where, again, guys were sharp on your feet. Savage was an amazing talker, as that cup of coffee promo reminded us. Then Josh Spillay mentioned the whole feud with the nature boy, Ric Flair, which, again, cutting edge moments. We had not seen WWE go here before in dealing with someone uh, perhaps messing with someone else's wife, you know, the Photoshop deal, which again, in 1992, we didn't have Photoshop as an app. We didn't have apps. 
right? So it was a big, big deal. Obviously, that moved into WCW as well. Then at Esquire mentioned, of course, the feud with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which began with the crushing of Steamboat's larynx. We remember that. What a crazy moment. And as we're remembering these moments, we have to associate the fact that the macho man Randy Savage was obviously ahead of his time. And dare I say he was attitude era and extreme before either of them became buzzwords. Macho Man did some pretty amazing things in WWE. And again, that whole larynx crushing with Steamboat was something we had not seen before. That led, of course, into the WrestleMania 3 match, which is still considered by many to be among the greatest WrestleMania matches and matches, period, of all time. Our good friend and my cousin, Ronald Tinsley, talked about uh, not just the WrestleMania 3 moment, but the WrestleMania 4 title match that happened, where Macho Man won the first ever WrestleMania tournament for the vacant WWE Championship. Another big moment. So all of these incredible moments that you guys have mentioned is amazing to think about it. He was a two-time WWE champion, a four-time WCW champion. His wars with Hogan were incredible. I think about the epic big event or the main event where Savage turned on Hogan, the implosion of the mega powers, you know, where he called him Lust Hogan, and they fought in the locker room, aired on NBC, one of the biggest nights for WWE, period, uh, is amazing. Savage and the Ultimate Warrior, which I know some people mentioned as well. So many memories for the macho man, Randy Savage, whose birthday would have been yesterday. We lost the Macho Man on May the 20th, 2011, as he had a heart attack while driving. But yeah, Savage was amazing. Think about the formation of the Mega Powers, which was nuts. Uh, his involvement at SummerSlam, the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. You know, we saw a lot of things at SummerSlam as well, where it was the marriage for Savage and Elizabeth and other huge, huge moments. So by all means, head to our Facebook or Instagram pages and share with us your favorite memories of the Macho Man Randy Savage and shout out to all of those who've already done so. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Remember tonight, NXT 2.0, along with NWA Power. Tomorrow, we've got all sorts of things happening with AEW, AEW Dynamite. By the way, I also think it's interesting that WWE and AEW are literally ending up in the same cities, sometimes within a week or two weeks of each other. For instance, uh, back in September when WWE worked Madison Square Garden and then less than two weeks later, AEW worked the Arthur Ashe Center in New York City pretty crazy. We've got that happening again this week as this past Friday, the WWE was in Norfolk for SmackDown at the Norfolk Scope. And now AEW tomorrow night will be in Norfolk at the Chartway Arena for AEW Dynamite. I just think all of this is really, really interesting. All right. With that said, we're going to get out of here. I hope you guys have an amazing day. Make sure you're connecting with us on the socials at The Faction Show. And until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, I am GB Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I